Our sponsor today is Morning Egg Clips. Morning Egg Clips is America's number one daily ag news service, designed to be a quick and easy read. It will help you stay up to date on the important headlines in both local and national agriculture every business morning. You can go to their website at www.morningagclips.com to sign up or peruse the headlines. Connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Your Morning Ag Clips will help to keep you in the know. Hi, and welcome to the North American Ag Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with an Indiana native who has spoken to over 2,400 audiences in all 50 states and seven countries on the topics that he knows best, business and agriculture. He's a graduate of Purdue University. He also studied comedy at the Second City, Chicago. He's a member of the Screen Actors Guild and National Speakers Association, and he's an author and host of two podcasts, all of this, and he's still an Indiana farmer. I'd like to welcome Damian Mason. Welcome, Damian, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks for having me here. So can you tell me a bit about um, your farming background? What do you grow? Where are you farming? <laughs> well, calling me a farmer is being very generous. Um, I, I rent out the bulk of our property here. I have about 280 acres in Indiana. About 205 of it is in cropland that I rent to a large-scale dairy operation. Um, well, I manage the timber. Um, I've had at times uh, a beef operation out here selling uh, beef for, you know, private, uh, private, uh, <clears throat> you know, people that want a quarter of beef for their, their freezer. Uh, I used to make a little bit of hay with my brother, but uh, uh, he was he was a dairy farmer as well, but uh, he's passed away. So I really couldn't justify owning the hay and forage equipment for the little bit I was going to do. So um, that's what happens. I was raised on a dairy farm here. <clears throat> All the uh, the trappings of your normal basic 1970s and 80s uh, farming operation. We milked about 60 cows and had to, you know your cement stave silo. And we farmed about 500 acres. Most of it was rented. So yeah, I now own the home property where I was raised as well as where I live. And um, that's what the farming operation consists of. So um, like I said, <clears throat> we, um, we, we, we rent out the bulk of our stuff now. Um, it's it's one of those things where about every year I come up with a new idea that I should do some little new venture in agriculture out here. But the reality is I cover the road uh, when meetings are allowed to happen, speaking at agricultural events all over North America. I also have uh, a new venture with Extreme Ag. That's a group of high producing uh, forward thinking farmers. They do a lot of product trials and a lot of business practices. So I'm producing content, video and things, uh, podcasts for them as well. So really, I've got plenty of things that are pulling at my time, plus a few other little ventures I have on my own. So between that and trying to get good at golf and uh, taking care of, uh, of, of uh, my, my two dogs, I guess um, I've got plenty of things going on. I also live half the year in Phoenix, Arizona. So um, uh, that's kind of um, <clears throat> that's kind of how the, the farming operation works around here. So um, that's it in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, well, that's pretty well-rounded life. I like it. <laughs> Well, so we're going to jump in. There's so much happening in the world right now, and it seems like all roads lead back to agriculture, and you have a great connection in the industry. So I'd like to talk first about what you're observing out there. Um, let's start with the supply chain. What are you hearing, and how bad is it really? It's not as bad right now as it might get. Um, let's talk about it from everything, you know, from from uh, the bacon on your dinner plate to the, the farmers, I'm sorry, to the farm level um, inputs, um, especially with this involvement that I have with extreme ag, I've got, you know, some of these guys that are farming 10,000 acres. So I've got a pretty good finger on what, 
what they're dealing with. And the word is um, there's going to be huge price increases on inputs. You know, the stuff that these farmers are putting on the ground, uh, fertilizer, nitrogen is going to be a little bit more than double priced uh, next year from what it was this year. Uh, phosphor, I think they said is uh, up 70%. So you just start going down the line. Um, then there's talk now, are we going to be able to get glyphosate? Now, of course, the folks filing lawsuits and the environmental working group that makes its money off of opposing modern agriculture would love for us to not be able to get glyphosate, but um, there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences, you know, um, they like eating too. <laughs> pardon me. I think they like eating too. So that's yeah, kinda... right. So, you know, the, uh, the environmental activists and the, the activist groups that essentially use ag as their whipping boys so that they can make money from their, from their donors, um, you know, love dream of a day when we don't use chemicals or fertilizer. Well, um, that day may come. Uh, if we somehow get this whole regenerative and organic thing figured out. But in the short term, that would be devastating for a lot of people, particularly at the bottom half of the uh, economic spectrum in terms of food availability. So it's my understanding that we're going to see a lot of stuff at the farm gate that's going to be in tight supply. Um, I have a group that I call the Business of Ag Success Group that you're going to be speaking to uh, on Wednesday. And folks that are ag professionals from all different uh, aspects of agriculture are in my group. And uh they pay me a little bit of money and we put on meetings for them every two weeks via Zoom. So the good thing about having that networking group is that you hear from different areas of ag that one side doesn't even know what the hell's happening on the other side. Well, for instance, one of the guys is involved with a bunch of ag retailers. And what's going to happen on the ag retail level that a lot of people don't realize is they're going to be paying exorbitant amounts of money. So they're not going to, they're not going to be gouging these farmers. They just themselves are, can't get their hands on stuff. So my man, Jim, that's in this group tells me that the containers, you know, the stuff that just a metal box that gets on a boat from China to here is like five to seven times more expensive now to move that container than it was just a year and a half ago. Wow. So China has over the barrel. That's frankly our own fault from pickup trucks where you, uh, you know, we got pickup trucks here in Indiana because we make a lot of pickup trucks here uh, stacked like cordwood. Um, they're built. They're done, except they don't have a computer chip. And so this is a big topic here, Chrissy. You know, if you've got a $45,000 pickup truck or $50,000 pickup truck and it's completely unusable because of this little chip, that chip is now worth $50,000. You know, that's what a lot of folks don't get. It's like, no, it's not. It's worth $13. Well, if you can't run the truck without it, it's worth $50,000. And China really knows that. There's an old saying in business. When you owe the bank a million dollars, the bank owns you. When you owe the bank a hundred million dollars, you own the bank. And uh, that's kind of the same situation. When all of our eggs are in one basket, when our biggest customer, as well as our biggest supplier for ag is China, I think we should be a great deal more alarmed than we are. I have been sounding this alarm for several years in my speaking engagements that we just sit there very passively and like, oh, well, you know, it's great. Just keep making more soybeans because by God, them Chinese are going to buy them soybeans. Well, eventually China does not want to be our customer. They want to be our replacement. And uh, that day is coming sooner than we should like to think. That's why they're making huge investments and buddying up with Brazil. They're going to third world countries and putting in ports and railroads so that they can just completely replace the United States of America. And in the meantime, they've got us over a barrel now on a lot of these inputs. Um, I know why we went there because of the cost of manufacturing. I believe it was a 
fatal, almost near fatal error, or it will be a near fatal error if we don't get the stuff pulled out of there quickly. So that's the supply chain issue. And you've got containers that are five to seven times more expensive to ship them across the pond. You've got near shortages or supply issues on a lot of plastics and resins that would then make the the containers, uh, the, the plastic uh, bottles and jars, or, sorry, uh, jugs that we uh, haul the stuff in. And then you've got... Um, you got the issue of uh, imports and, uh, and and a lot of friction right there. So I think there's going to be a tough time for ag. I think we're going to be going without some inputs next year. Yeah. Then, uh, okay. Then when you think about what's going to happen at the consumer level, because you know, the, the person that lives next to me in Phoenix, Arizona, doesn't give two hoots in hell about whether a farmer can get his hands on glyphosate or not. Frankly, they don't even understand it. Mm-hmm. What they do understand is when they go to the grocery store and they see price increases, which we obviously are having, you know, the government can try and say that we only have 5% inflation, or I guess in August, they said it was 8.2 or 8.8%. You know, some of us, uh, you know, just a slowly uh, bachelor degree agricultural economist uh, types, uh, I started calling this a year and a half ago. I said, you can't throw billions and billions and billions of free money out there and not create inflation. You know, we've made it so that the cost of work Well, you can get $600 a week to not work. So what does that make the cost of work worth? So we de facto did do a minimum wage increase. Uh, The the left, the political left really wanted that to happen. They've been pushing for minimum wage to $15 forever. So how magically they came up with giving people $600 a week is exactly $15 times 40 hours. Um, So these things have real life impacts. Again, the law of unintended consequences. When you are paying people to not work, that means it increases the the price of labor. A guy that milks my that farms my land milks cows, twenty five hundred cows to be exact. It's a lot of cows, so he's got a lot of hired people. The first, the base level job when you show up at this dairy farm is they'll teach you how to wash the teats and put milkers on cows. They pay those people thirteen dollars and fifty cents plus housing. If you can get fifteen dollars to sit at home and watch prices right. Why would you ever go milk cows for thirteen fifty? Well, that's it. And mm-hmm. so the point is, if he's double minimum wage now, that means if he has to double minimum wage again, he's going to be at thirty dollars plus housing. What's that do to a price of milk? Well, in the short term, it might put him out of business or a lot of dairy farms out of business. And when that happens, then when all of a sudden the gallon of milk goes from two dollars and nineteen cents at uh, uh, Safeway or whatever it is down there, Win Dixie, uh, Peoples, uh, whatever your grocery stores are there in Florida. Yeah. When it goes to $5, then people start saying, What the hell happened? Because this thing tends to be a big surprise. The average person is not economically oriented. They behave economically, they make their decisions based on economics, but they don't think long term what's going to happen. So we're going to have some real issues there. I just use an example of milk and the guy that milks my cows. Let's say everybody says, oh, well, you know what? I don't feel bad for him. One of those factory farmers, uh, factory farmers being mean to those cows, which of course is not true. Those cows are in better shape than any cow was ever on our small dairy farm growing up because they have hoof treatments and they have protocols and they have nutrition. Anyway, let's take it to meat. Um, we got the same issue right now. An article in the Wall Street Journal about Tyson. Tyson is pushing through this whole vaccine mandate for their employees, Um, but they still have an issue of employees not showing up. They're trying to say it's because they're not healthy or they're afraid to work. The truth is, why would you go and and process chickens in a stinky chicken processing facility if you can get paid to not have to? 
Tyson says they are spending six days of work now to get five days of output pre this whole nonsense. So you're talking about major, major issues when the number one chicken processing company, one of the biggest protein companies on the planet is now at five sixths of capacity. What are you really going to see? Well, you're going to see price increases. The Biden administration came out last week and said, we should tackle this. Those Biden people said that, you know what, those meat companies are gouging the consumer. Well, the reality is if you don't have people showing up, your facilities are running at about 80 to 85 percent of, uh, you know, capacity. You're going to end up having to uh, uh, absorb that somehow. So I think we're really going to see um, this. This entire thing is going to come back to higher prices for everybody, which is what inflation times look like. That's it. And and why we can see it, why, and they can't. It's just that's something that just blows me away. It's just been so obvious over the last year and a half what's going to happen. And now it's happening and people are, you know, looking around, how did this happen? <laughs> right. It's just crazy. But yeah, what do you I mean, think? Like I said, most people, they, 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 when they get hit with it, it's kind of like uh, the three little pigs, Chrissy, you know, yeah. about uh, the straw house, the twig house, and the brick house. They will, they will, lazily accept the the straw house all day long. And then when the big bad wolf blows it down, they just act surprised that this would ever happen. Well, this is what's happening right now. Um, these, these, you know, government policy oftentimes seeks to circumvent the power of economics, economic forces. And sometimes you just can't do that. You, you know, minimum wages, uh, uh, rent, rent uh, caps, um, you know, all these things are essentially, um, attempts to distort what economic forces would have happen. Um, and again, using the Tyson example, eventually when these, they either had to, what, what's the answer then? Um, humans eat less chicken. Let's just put this, you know, long-term mm -hmm. they pay more or they eat less. That's about your two options. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so, so, or Tyson has to figure out a way then to open up a build another building that can only run at 82% capacity because they're spending six days to get five days worth of output because employees are not showing up. I mean, that's where this thing. Or goes. more automation. Right? Or that's more automation, other. which is coming. Um, mm -hmm. And that was coming anyhow. What mm -hmm. tends to happen then is automation gets ramped up really quickly. You know, take World War II. Um, we were already, you know, an industrial, uh, you know, powerhouse, the United States of America, 1941. Well, all of a sudden you send a few million, uh, you know, young working age men uh, all around the globe to go and get shot at. Somebody's got to still make the stuff. So, you know, Rosie the Riveter, women for the first time then, you know, really in mass went to the factories. Well, also that still wasn't enough. So a tremendous amount of automation was forced. You know, it's the old thing. Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So is that going to happen? We started seeing this one and a half years ago when uh, meat facilities shut down because of worker issues on their health. Um, so can it happen quickly? Yeah. Yeah, probably will. You know, the, <clears throat> the plant protein people would, would love for this to be a real open door for them. And they thought that it was. Remarkably, still hasn't really caught on, you know, Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger, there's still around 1% or less of protein consumption in the United States of America. Right. Um, I believe that some plant-based protein is coming and it might be a function of higher meat prices, whether the Biden administration can smack those companies on the hands hard enough to make them lower their prices or not is, is probably not really going to happen. So there could be an opportunity 
for some plant proteins, but I don't think it's going to be the Beyond Burger or the Impossible. I think those are kind of like MySpace. You know, remember 20 years ago, everybody said 15 years ago, we're all going to have social media and then MySpace. Well, who the hell's on MySpace now? I don't even know if it exists. Um, Maybe Impossible Burger and Beyond are the MySpace of plant-based protein. That's a good point. I believe it could be. Yeah. I believe it could be plant-based proteins that are the lentils and the beans. I had a Canadian uh, entrepreneur on uh, my podcast about two months ago, and his company is uh, going public. And they're more like plant-based high-protein pastas and things like this. Hmm. And the idea is if if there's this environmental reason you don't eat meat, or there's this I'm humane, I don't eat meat. Or more importantly, it might end up being meat's damned expensive now because of all these problems we have. Maybe the person says, but I still want protein. And you know what? That impossible burger is gross. You know, burger's burger. That ain't a burger. But I could eat this high protein pasta. So that's where I think maybe this thing is going. And there's probably an open door for them right now if we are going to see these price uh, prices remain. Um, And, uh, you know, another thing the Biden administration says they're going to do is uh, throw money at meat processing to encourage expansion of smaller facilities. And that's neat. I take my steers to a place down the road. That's cool. But if they go from killing a dozen steers a year, a week to 18, that still is a spit in the wind compared to the the 6,000 steers per day that are getting processed in Dodge City, Kansas, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you're speaking to farmers and manufacturers directly, what do you think it's important to consider as they move forward? Well, on the price input thing, I don't know how you get around it. I mean, if you're a farmer and you're and you're uh, you know doing a good job, you should spend as much time at your desk as you do in the shop. You know, I always say there's the hide in the shop farmer that wants to go out and, you know, I keep taking stuff apart and putting it back together again. That's nice. That's cool. I wouldn't be me because I'm not really into wrenching on stuff too much. Um, But if you're at your desk, you're paying attention to uh, what you can do about getting inputs bought. I know you can buy inputs ahead, meaning if you're going to have a fat year, which you are this year, uh, with the exception of tree, fruit, and, and, uh, and feed yards. Those are the two places that are hurting. And I'm talking about beef Beef feeders and tree products, I'm told, are where the struggle is, from nuts to fruits uh, mm-hmm. to, to live on the hoof beef. But aside from that, pretty much everybody else is making pretty good money. So you have a chance here to prepay or pre-buy your inputs for next year. And it's A, to maybe avoid some more uh, risk on the upside on pricing, but also to guarantee supply. You know, make sure you have the stuff. Yeah, um, that's a good, good you, advice you know, there. If you're going to experiment and say, I'm going to do a year where I don't use this, this, and this, or I'm going to do a year where I put in cover crops and I hope that then by using uh, uh, deep-rooted radishes, I'm bringing up uh, more fertility from that, uh, you know, subsoil horizon. Uh, And by golly, maybe that along with the the aspect of the the green manure vegetation, um, I can cut back on fertilizer usage. That's maybe an option if you had a an option to sort of experiment with something new that you could get by with less inputs. Um, you know, from the um, manufacturing standpoint, and again, this is anecdotal. Um, so I, I know there's empirical evidence and there's anecdotal evidence. So I'm gonna give you anecdotal on this one that 
a John Deere facility essentially has a combine sitting there that's just become their parts combine. You know, they're almost becoming their own salvage yard, as ridiculous as that sounds, where they, they're they saying, hey, we can't get parts because the supply chain issue is all over. Mm-hmm. Again, we talked about those, um, those, those ignorant consumers that they assume that they sat around and watched Netflix for eight months and kind of half-ass worked, and they assume that somehow everybody else was just chugging along. And then all of a sudden it's like, mm-hmm. what do you mean there's no piston heads for my combine? What do you mean there's no uh, replacement concaves for my, you know, what do you think was happening? If you weren't doing work, why would you think that other people were? So that's where those things really smack us in the face. Yeah, for um, sure. Frankly, I think it's a testament to our economic system that we've withstood it as well as we have, you know, um, now the other part about the manufacturers, let's say you don't have to tear apart your combine to make it for parts. Um, one thing about, uh, North American agriculture in Canada, United States, you know, you can even talk about certainly Europe, uh, Brazil, we are very well automated. You talk about automation. And also, we're pretty darn well equipped. You know, when when you've got large-scale farmers that are whacking out their harvest in 14 days' time, um, it's not that catastrophic. And I'm not being insensitive to to what's going on. If you do have a problem because you're a little shorthanded or you do have a supply chain problem or you can't get your hands on a, a watch budget, if it adds three more days that's not probably going to make you lose the farm, right? I mean, you're not going to be now going bankrupt because of uh, something being extended. So the good news is because we've been so modernized and well-equipped, if we end up adding a couple of days or do have to factor in a couple of inefficiencies, it's probably not going to, uh, you know, break us. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've kind of noticed over the last year too, is they, that a lot of manufacturers have, have a long list of customers and they uh, feel very, very busy and feel like things are just flying off the shelves and it's a really great year, but I wonder about the future if they're not planning for what's going to happen in a year, in two years, thinking that we're kind of riding this out and it's positive. I know a lot of salespeople that are having record years. Yeah. So, you know, what caution do you give to those people? Yeah. Well, save your money. (laughs) I've, uh, Uh, you know, I quit corporate in 1994 and started my own business. I, I started out as a political comedian and, um, and uh, you know, I've been through some ups and downs. I've had other various business ventures and investments uh, over the years. And I can tell you that uh, the one thing that's always made it so that I could um, uh, live to fight another day is kind of my thing. Um, my wife says to me uh, a few months ago, uh, a couple months ago, got another new little thing going um, with business. She says, you know, Damien, they will knock you down, but they will never knock you out. And uh, I think that's the thing is you keep getting back up off the canvas and say, I'm, I'm here to fight another day. So what do you do? Yeah, you're that sales rep that just is saying, oh, my God, I'm just things are going crazy. All this pent up demand. Well, first off, we are heading into inflationary times. A hundred grand is very likely going to feel a lot like 90 grand here in another few months. Uh, that's just the reality of what inflation is doing. Um uh, save your money. Uh, realize that um, we are in this sort of oddball situation. I just got some wood mulch uh, tree trimmings dropped off here. Guy here in my community trims trees. 
And so I said, I got a lot of uh, stuff out here. I go and put this wood chips down because it's free, you know? So it's basically mulch you don't have to pay for because it's not the pretty dyed kind. Right. We're just dropping that off an hour ago. And I said, uh, you having a hard time keeping help? He said, I'm having a hard time getting people that'll show up every day. He says, he says I've got four guys that basically amounts to a two-man crew because, wow. uh, you know, when they show, when they don't show. So small business people like him, there's a lot of folks that sat around and, and they got bailout money or they got, uh, you know, whatever these different things that the, the government's throwing out, uh, you know, money like it was candy. And then they looked around and said, you know what? We ought to trim up those trees. Let's call Mike's Tree Service. And then Mike says, God, my phone's ringing off the hook. Now I can't get people to help me come out here and trim up these trees. So it's happening yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So what's your advice? I guess your advice your advice is write it out as best you can, uh, you know, and of course, um, I say always save and invest your money and realize that uh, there's no guarantees. The other thing is, and this is where a lot of folks screw up. It's the old thing about they get a little bit, they get a little bit complacent. I was going to say the word lazy. That sales rep you're talking about is closing all kinds of deals. They aren't really prospecting new business right now because they say, why do I need to do that? I'm busy as can be. Mm -hmm. And then it's the old thing, dig your well before you're thirsty. Two years from now, three of those companies are now uh, consolidated down to just two, uh, or they find a new vendor or whatever that thing is. So we try to always, uh, my wife and I here with my speaking business or my other interests, um, we never get so cocky that we think we're too busy to return calls. We never get to where we think that we're we're too we're too cool to return that email. Um, mm. We we try to always be responsive, as uh, realizing that you're you know I, I came up in showbiz, so I always remember that you're only as good as your last show. Uh, that's a, a very famous statement that they make in uh, showbiz. You're only as good as your last show, you know. Uh, so I try to always remember that. Uh, that you know, they could all end. It could all, it could all, it could all slow down. It's uh, it's important to do that. Yeah, that's that's definitely some good advice. And then going back to egg policy a little bit, Biden's proposed tax changes are frightening to the farm family, at the very least. So, what's your take on that issue? And is there hope for the family farm? Yeah, I, you know, and I've read a few different articles on this, and I'm certainly not an estate uh, expert. Um, depending on what the limits are. You know, we've had this thing before and after and back and forth. Uh, there was a time here just a few years ago where it kept climbing, meaning you had no estate tax due, Chrissy, um, until after like eleven and a half million dollars. I'm thinking was the numbers like in that eleven to twelve million range somewhere. Okay, then like somehow it expired and then dropped to one million dollars. So just think of this. You've worked, you know, you and your spouse have worked like hell out here and you've done the right thing, you know, and you, you fed the pigs and you, and you paid down the debt. And you did all that. And then you got this, you know, you're, you know, a few farms, your estate is worth, say, $5 million. And you're like, hey, I'm under the limit. Oh, wait, until January 1st, then it drops to $1 million. So they've changed this estate tax thing around so much. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to end up because it's nothing's official yet. And yeah. so even a state uh, planning attorney right now would say, we're just going with what the law currently is. You know, if you ask an attorney, they'll say, well, here's what might happen, but we can't really rework your estate based on what might happen. Right. So is it, is it going to be this huge thing where a bunch of farms have to liquidate? It doesn't probably look that way. Um, 
I'd imagine if you're in that, if you're in that realm of having, you know, 10 or $20 million worth of agricultural assets, you probably are, you sure as hell should be meeting with uh, a good estate attorney and putting things into trusts or whatnot. There's the only issue of control. Like I don't have children. My wife and I have a decent net worth and we own some property and things like this. So sometimes there's the family that has all that. And then they're like, well, if I start apportioning stuff up to junior and then all of a sudden, what's the old thing they always say? It's not the in-laws. The in-laws are the outlaws. I I portion stuff to junior and then junior spouse all of a sudden says, you're the hell out of here. So I think there's going to be some of those, um, those horror stories more than there will actually be true devastation. It just depends on where the level comes out. Yeah. You know, they've got, they've spent, they've blown a lot of money. And the one thing that the governments do, and whether it's at the city, the state, the local or the federal level, they blow the money and then they go about figuring out where they can confiscate somebody else's money to pay for their, their programs. So they will probably make it hard on agriculture, but it depends on where that level comes in. Um, you know, and I got to tell you, I'm as conservative as anybody. I'm very libertarian. In fact, I generally oppose all taxation. I oppose property taxation. If the government has a lien on my farm every six months, then do I really own anything? So that being said, estate taxes, and this was said by like Warren Buffett, I think uh, a decade or so ago in an article I read, the one thing about estate taxes at some level, if you don't have some level of that, then you end up in a very quickly, you end up in a sort of feudal system where it's kings and queens and then the rest of us peasants, because if they can pass on hundreds of millions of dollars, which they already do with the different structures and the way they, they do things, um, what chance do we ever have? You know, how do I ever buy the farm down the road when it's just continually being accumulated by this massive amount of sort of modern day aristocracy? So there is as much as I hate to say it, there is an argument to be made for some level of estate taxation, only in that it makes it so that Bill Gates, uh, who's already figured out enough uh, methods to to sort of put the put the ledger more in his on his favor, um, yeah. it does make it a little bit um, so that they're not just going to continue to accumulate that. So, yeah, that's about it. Long long story, long answer to to not really give you any concrete answer. I know, Chris. Right. Yeah, I know. It's all good stuff to think about, though. There's there's a lot in there. And, you know, we're kind of just along for the ride right now, figuring out what's going to happen and speculating at this point. I mean, that's one of many things with what's going on right now. You know, they're, they're talking about three and a half trillion dollars of what they call an infrastructure package. And it doesn't look a bit like infrastructure, as you and I well know, or anything that we would have defined as infrastructure up until this whole thing. So remember what they do when they want to push through spending, they just redefine the terms, right? Uh, yeah, something uh, more palatable for the commoners, right? <laughs> yeah, so the point yeah. is they're going to have to pay for this. So there's no way that taxes can't go up. I mean, yeah. I, again, you talk about the the people that just seem oblivious to all this. Like how how would you how would you come up with six trillion dollars? It's a number that you can't even comprehend, right? Yeah. Six. How would you come up with that without increasing tax revenue? And so um, something's got to pay for it. Yeah, for sure. And um, it's kind of changing tracks. It, you wrote a blog earlier this year, and it was titled "Time for Egg to Change the Curriculum of Educating the Consumer." And I just want to know what you mean by that, because because I agree with that, and uh, I just want to hear hear what you think. 
Yeah. So the re- the concept I have with uh, changing the curriculum of educating the consumer, we have been saying this for a long, long time. And I, you know, I'm 52 years old. I've been to ag events since I was a little boy. Uh, you know, the machinery dealer uh, would put out ham sandwiches and show you a film or the, they'd have the local ag broadcaster from the AM uh, radio station come in and talk. And uh, the themes that we usually hear a lot of in, in ag, Chrissy, uh, and, and I kind of ruffle some feathers when I say this. We've told them how lucky they are that we feed them. If you ate today, thank a farmer, thank a farmer. Well, you know what? If you farmed it today, thank a consumer. <laughs> there's, yeah. you know, there's, 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 there's two sides to this, right? I also, uh, do I need to thank the 13 year old uh, kid in, um, in Bangladesh that made my shoes? I mean, let's be honest here. Um, who all, who are we going to thank? There's that. And then there's the other thing we love to say at ag meetings is talk about educating the consumer. Just got to educate the consumer. You know what we need to do? We got to go out there and educate the consumer. And I do have a big social media following and I am active, uh, out here as a, uh, media, sometimes in the media, uh, ag guy. And I'm happy to tell my friends in the suburbs of Arizona about what happens in in agriculture. But this idea that we think it means we're just going to keep doing what we want to do. As long as we tell you why we're doing it, you're going to let us do it. Well, I'm not sure that's going to fly because we live in an environment of environmentalism. We've got organizations that believe just because you own that field right there doesn't mean that you have the right to pollute my river. And so, and and there's a case to be made for that. The consumer does increasingly believe that they should have control over a lot of things that we didn't think that they should. So when we keep talking about educating the consumer, what that usually means is it's ag people saying, we want to just keep doing things the way we do it. As long as we tell you why, then you'll just shut the hell up and be happy and thank a farmer. And I would (laughs) counter that with maybe it's time, Chrissy, that we think, all right, First off, when you say educating the consumer, we're implying that they are ignorant. And maybe they are. Let's face it. They don't know a lot about what happens out here at the farm gate. But it's also on the verge of insulting. What if I came to your farm and said, you know what? I'm just going to educate you about what happens in the city. You'd be like, who the hell do you think you are? Well, <laughs> again, look at it from their side. Um, there's the other part of it that presumes that they care. Now, this is the one that a lot of ag people don't get. And I do ruffle some feathers. If you go to the store and generally you have everything you want and you spend 6.4% of your food, of your income on food, which is what it is on average in the United States of America, less than that for wealthy people, more than that percentage for poorer people, as you might imagine. But if you're spending six and a half percent of your income on food, the grocery store generally has everything you want. Even with hiccups here in the last year and a half, you still pretty much, you know, had what you want. Um, Why would you care? <laughs> you know, right. I point this out all the time. I got a cell phone right here, it's a smartphone. It's a wonderful piece of equipment, right? It does all kinds of stuff. It's smarter than the Apollo uh, space program 50 years ago. I don't know how it works. I know how to use it. I know how to use it for my work, but I don't know how the technology in here works. So if Apple, <laughs> if Apple thought that, hey, well, just imagine, Chrissy, Apple, uh, you know, the one of the biggest tech companies on the planet said, Hey, you know what? We're going to make this and you're not going to like it, but by God, we're going to tell you how we did it because that's educating the consumer. You'd say, screw you. I'll just go get a Samsung. I don't need educated. I just want it to work. That's kind of our consumer when it comes to their groceries. Right. So you want it on the shelf. 
Yeah, we're hung, we're hung up over here on educating. It's fine to let them know what happens out here, and it's good yeah. to have that communication. It just needs to be, yeah, well, we go overboard on this. Uh, educate the consumer, educate them. Like maybe the consumer doesn't care. Do you care how your phone was made? Ask that question, and it's a great comparison. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I I think that's a. I think we really do get stuck in that rut of education, and it's important. But but I really like that perspective. Because we we have to keep keep being creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you are also the host of two podcasts. Can you tell me a little bit about the two podcasts? Yeah. So if you're watching yeah. this, dear viewer or listener, as the business of agriculture with Damian Mason, it's uh, it's my backdrop right here. You can go to DamianMason.com and you can find all my stuff. I do the. Uh, the business of agriculture comes out every week. I do another one that's geared to small biz, biz-minded folks called Do Business Better. I have a book called Do Business Better. Uh, I guess I can pull that up and show your viewers right here. It looks a little bit like this. Um, so the uh, the two podcasts, if you are an ag person, which I know we've got machinery people and farmers that love them are listening to your uh, program here, you know, you'd ought to really think about your business and always view it from an outside perspective. That's what we seek to do with the do business better podcast on the business of agriculture podcast. Try to bring in a lot of different angles, everything from uh, the regenerative farming to uh, chemical manufacturers from, uh, from uh, direct to consumer uh, agriculture to uh, you know, greenhouses uh, to to feed yard operators. So we bring in a lot of different angles and we always try to keep it about the heady part of it, the business part of it, the the things that maybe you kind of didn't know about, the things that you'd like to know more about. So it's a lot of fun doing that. And I got to say, um, I've, I've learned a lot just by hosting it. I mean, I'm sure you do also. The more of these uh, people you have on, the more you're like, ah, I hadn't thought of that. And that's a good point. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I have one last question for you. What fires you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a tough part because I got to say with this last year and a half, a lot of things changed, yeah. um, you know, and that combined with where I am in my life. Um, when I was 30, it was all about go out there and slay those dragons and, mm-hmm. uh, and prove that you can. And then um, now uh, we're in a little different realm, um, because, uh, you know, if I've had a, a certain degree of financial success, so you can't just always think, oh, it's just about making a dollar. Um, so now it's more about, I want to do more and more of the things of my choosing. Um, I want to do more and more of the thing that is got Damien on it versus, oh, this is obligation. And there's also a little bit of a change. Um, I've, I've heard this said before tomorrow, I could say, I have to go to Florida to speak for the Florida fruit and vegetable association, or I could say I get to go to Florida to speak to the Florida fruit and vegetable association. There is a, there is a, I guess a, a, a good mental health thing that uh, we should do where we actually think about what we do as uh, more and more doing it by choice versus that you have to, you know, I was a factory worker when I was 19 years old, uh, working the midnight shift in a dusty, dirty place that made you itch. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. And that's a, a good thing. So what fires me up is still the, still the pursuit of doing life and business more and more on my terms versus on someone else's. And I think that if you can do more and more things on your terms, versus by someone else's, then, um, then that's a good day. Right. Yep. 
Yeah. And you've got that dead on, I would say. That's awesome. So thank you so much for joining me today, Damien. There's a lot going on in the world. I really appreciate your analysis. I appreciate having me on and, uh, you know, tell, tell your viewers here, check me out at DamienMason.com and I hope that we can, uh, you know, be of service to them. So thanks a lot. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone who's watching or listening. If you want more information, all the links will be posted in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight YouTube channel. Um, and podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts and have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Egg Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.